honey. I'll be doing that. So <laughs> you give my wife a good hand. We, we have fun up here. And it's okay to laugh in God's house. Amen? Especially when you're preaching on something so serious as spiritual warfare. Which uh, we started last week, we didn't exactly get through it, and I want to kind of pick up today and, and uh, pick up where we left off last week. Um, wow, I'm, I'm just telling you, I sense uh, a season of warfare in the church that's, I think, probably unprecedented. And um, God's up to something. He really is. He's up to something. I, I don't know that we all see it clearly yet, but um, he's refining, uh, he's purifying, uh, he's certainly testing, and, um, and the enemy is also afoot and at work and trying to deceive and trying to lie. There's a lot going on right now, and I think it's really important that we realize fully the warfare that we are in right now. Let me just kind of catch you up by way of uh, last week real quick, and I encourage you to go back and listen to last week if you haven't heard it. We started last week by reading the Ephesians chapter 6 portion where Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. He starts by saying, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The enemy's at work. The enemy... We are in a war. There's no doubt about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul goes on to tell us that though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are different weapons than the weapons of the world. We need to be very familiar with these weapons. We need to be wielding them, using them on a daily basis because those weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds, to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up above the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If you look at our world today, one of the things that is absolutely happening is there is a war for truth. There is a war for truth. If you've been around as long as I have, you know that the literal truth foundations upon which this nation has been built are changing right from under our feet. There's like a redefining of what truth is, a redefining of our history. Uh, there's a whole new way of looking at and thinking about the United States of America that has come upon us. Uh, our younger generation are buying into some very, very interesting ways of thinking and perceiving things. It is a war for truth. In fact, the world has gotten to the place where it basically wants to say that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Once you dismantle absolute truth, then pretty much anything and everything goes, and people are susceptible to believing just about anything. And we're seeing that happen, and I want to talk today again about this war that we're in. So a stronghold is a prisoner, someone who's in a stronghold, someone who's experiencing a stronghold is a prisoner locked by deception, living life by something that is not true. I was listening to a song yesterday, I was in my daughter's car, and this song was uh, really got my attention. I'm going to read you a line from it today. Just real quick, the title of the song is, My Mind is a Prison. 
My mind is a prison. You may have actually heard the song because it's kind of a catchy tune and a pretty popular tune. But here's one of the lines of this song. (laughs) I guess my mind is a prison and I'm never going to get out. And it basically describes just this battle going on in the mind of a young person. So there's, there's just a war that's happening within between our ears, in our minds. This is the battleground, whether we like it or not. The battleground is what we're believing. It's what we're embracing. It's what we're hearing. It's what we decide is true or not true. A stronghold also can be defined as anything that exalts itself in our minds, pretending to be bigger or more powerful than our God. We talked about this fact that the enemy has been a liar from the very beginning. A liar from the very beginning. In fact, Scripture says, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. 80%, they say, of the thoughts that stream through your head, my head, are negative thoughts. Can I just tell you that those are not thoughts that God's placing there? He's not trying to belittle you. God is never, ever, ever trying to... uh, make you feel inferior or worthless. I'm going to read you some things about that today that maybe will help you maybe see spiritual warfare in just a little bit of a different light. But when we believe a lie, we're literally empowering the liar in our life. We're giving power to the enemy in our lives. And we're, in a sense, agreeing with his plan for us. And I can just tell you that plan is never a good plan. Spiritual warfare at its most basic is is about exposing the lies and replacing those lies with the truth of God's word. I think that's the work of a local church. That's my heart as a pastor. You'll, You'll never hear me stop encouraging you as a people to be daily in God's word because God's word's that foundation that you're gonna win the battle from. And it is so important. So strongholds, how do you identify if you have a stronghold? Let me just give you a couple of thoughts to kind of think here about strongholds that I think um, will possibly help you. First of all, strongholds are, are those kind of things in your mind, right, that just cause you to lose your focus. We're, we're living in a day and a time where studies are saying that the average person's attention span today in America is less than that of a goldfish. Did you know that? Less than that of a goldfish. It's about three seconds. And this has come about largely because of the social media and the phone that we're constantly checking, constantly checking, constantly checking. We can't get away from it. We can't put it down. If we do put it down, we pick it back up just a few seconds later. We're checking it literally thousands of times a day. We're looking for those little dopamine hits, those little, those little things that just encourage us, that make us feel good within ourselves. A stronghold is something that steals your focus, that causes you to feel controlled, okay? That you've lost control, and this thing is now in control, if you would be honest about it. Um, you know, and, and uh, sometimes, you know, um, it takes a lot of honesty to admit that kind of thing. Thirdly, it consumes your emotional energy. It distracts you from your purpose. My, 
my youngest daughter told me the other day, it was, uh, she said, Dad, another person took their life at UPS. I said, really, honey, what, what happened? Because she had just told me a week before, she said, Dad, a young, a young gal at UPS, my daughter works at UPS, she said, young gal, she was pregnant, 23 years old, went up on top of one of the buildings and dove off and took her life. A week later, she said, they had a guy, went to the car, blew his brains out. Sat down with a pastor here not too long ago of a pretty significant church, and I said, did you lose a lot of people through COVID? He said, yeah, we did, but we lost even more through suicide. <clears throat> Lastly, a stronghold will rob you of the life that God intended for you. We know this, right? We know that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. It's very simple what his job description is. I want us to look today at the uh, life of Jesus and some of uh, what he went through in spiritual warfare. Let me give you a couple of quotes to just ponder on before we dive into that passage. Bob Sorge said this, The nature of the enemy's warfare in your life is to cause you to become discouraged and to cast away your confidence. The enemy wants to numb you into a coping kind of Christianity that has given up the hope of seeing God's resurrection power. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I bet if I ask you and you were honest, how many of you have felt this over the last year, two years? If you're really honest, you'd raise your hand. Henry Nouwen, great Catholic scholar and incredible man of God, says this, and hopefully you can read it on the big screen. He says, over the years I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are a part of the much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we've come to believe in the voices... This is the, those 80% of voices streaming through your head that if you don't take captive are going to lead you down the wrong path. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I'm rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well... That proves once again that I'm a nobody. My dark side says, or the enemy says, I, you're just no good. You deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. One more quote. Can you handle one more? Rick? Yeah? Anybody else? God, talk to me, folks. I need encouragement up here. I don't want to feel isolated and abandoned up here. 
David Siemens. I think he might be from Asbury, by the way, not too far down the road. Many Christians find themselves defeated by the most psychological weapon that Satan uses against them. This weapon has the effectiveness of a deadly missile. Its name, low self-esteem. Satan's greatest psychological weapon is a gut-level feeling of inferiority, inadequacy, and low self-worth. This feeling shackles many Christians in spite of wonderful spiritual experiences and knowledge of God's Word. Although they understand their position as sons and daughters of God, they're tied up in knots bound by a terrible feeling of inferiority and chained to a deep sense of worthlessness. Again, if I were to poll you guys, how many of you struggle with I'm pretty sure it'd be almost um, unanimous. So let's look at some things from Jesus' life on spiritual warfare real quick. And then I'm going to give you three threes real quick. We'll see if we can get through this today. So Luke chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. We're going to hit the end of Luke 3, the beginning of Luke 4. In Luke chapter 3, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, Holy Spirit. I'm just, I believe, I really believe in the core of my being that many of us have had such a superficial relationship with the Holy Spirit, and that's got to change. I believe the day's coming where you're going to absolutely be desirous of a best friendship with the Holy Spirit. You're going to want to know Him deeper and more intimately than you ever have before. It's not pie in the sky. Jesus said it's to your advantage if I go away and I send the Spirit. And yet most of us have kind of just treated the Holy Spirit as if he's out there in our time of need, but we don't really walk with him, talk with him, understand him, have the kind of relationship we need to have with him. It says, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Jesus. And a voice came from heaven which said... You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. There's a couple of things here that are so very important. Jesus does not start his earthly ministry until he is baptized with the Holy Spirit. I've said it before. Uh, I'm incorrect in having said it that the last words of Jesus were go. Actually, the last words of Jesus were stay. He did say to go in Matthew chapter 28, but in Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1, he said, stay until you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then, once that happens, don't you dare stay. Then you go. But don't go until you've received the power of my presence. Jesus did not begin his earthly ministry in any way, shape, or form until this significant event happened because Philippians 2 tells us that he, that he surrendered all of his divine rights so that he lived a life like you and I live, so that you and I can relate and understand. Sometimes we get that mixed up. We don't understand this about the incarnation. Jesus wasn't living in the, in the full vestiture of the Son of God power, divine power. No, he emptied himself of that. He lived in relationship with the Holy Spirit, daily listening to the Father's voice and walking in the power of the Spirit, and it's what helped him to overcome 
And you and I, apart from that, aren't going to have a whole lot of chance to overcome. We need the, the, the Holy Spirit's presence upon us and a deep and intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, and this verse points it out so powerfully, right? And you and I have got to get it. I want you to hear this today. In fact, I want everybody just to, to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a second, okay? And I'm going to say this twice, once for the sons and once for the daughters. So once for the men in the house, once for the ladies in the house. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear it as if it is a voice from heaven itself coming upon you, speaking over you. You are my beloved son. In you I'm well pleased. You are my beloved daughter. In you I am well pleased. Lord, make that the core of our reality, of our understanding, of the way we act, the way we behave, the way we live. May it come out of that rich resource of being the sons and daughters of God who are pleasing in your sight and have your blessing over our lives. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Look what happens. Luke chapter 4. Moving to Luke 4 now. I'm not going to read all 15 verses. I just want to point out a couple of very important things. Then Jesus being filled with the, say it again with me, the Holy Spirit, okay? So Luke 3, Holy Spirit in the form of a dove rests upon him. We talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Okay, there's multiple relationships we as believers have with the Holy Spirit. You study the Greek text, you learn this, right? Holy Spirit's in us. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us as a comforter. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon us as an empower, that we might be empowered to be his witness. Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, it's where he was baptized, and was led by the Spirit Let's we'll stop there for just a second. Have you ever caught that? Jesus was led by the Spirit. Where? Into the wilderness. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I thought the Lord only led us into green pastures and along beside still waters. Sometimes the Lord leads you into a little bit of a wilderness experience. It doesn't say he leaves you. It says he leads you. He's still with you. I'm going to show you what happens here at the end of the story. Jesus is being led into the wilderness, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit's power. He's tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. How many of you think you might be hungry too after 40 days in the wilderness? It's really, really interesting because you could say that Jesus had reached the limits of his humanity. I remember fasting for a prolonged period of time. I've done it a number of times in my life, and it's a great privilege and honor just to give up the earthly sustenance, just to connect with God and to know him in a deeper way. And I remember there were times, there are certain times in the fast where you get so weak you can hardly stand. I was taking a hot shower one day and I about fell down. I just, my, my strength was just 
depleted and I was working and I was going to school and I was trying to do all these things. It's really interesting here because we kind of learn that the enemy comes at Jesus. The end of the story will say he's going he's gonna to leave him, but he'll look for a, a, an opportune time. This must have been, in the enemy's sense, an opportune time to come against Jesus, right? Because Jesus was hungry, he was isolated, and he was tired. Enemy knows when to come against you. And oftentimes it's when you're hungry, when you're isolated, and when you're tired. And it's when you feel like you're in a barren, lonely, desolate wilderness. And sometimes the Lord takes us into those places to test us, to see if we're, if we're mature enough, if we're strong enough, if we have faith enough, if we've hidden the word of God in our hearts so that we can stand against the enemy and stand our ground in Jesus' name. Sometimes following the leading of the Holy Spirit means we'll find ourselves in places of maybe poverty or need rather than prosperity or trouble rather than tranquility or hardship rather than happiness. But it just goes to show that the surest place to be, even if it's in a wilderness setting, is to be in the center of God's will. And listen to this, it's better to have the fullness of God's Spirit than nothing else. <laughs> And nothing else than to have everything else and not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's very interesting. Let me just read a couple more verses there. Because the enemy comes right at his identity. And this is why those words, Jesus, you're my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. Tracy, you're my beloved daughter. In whom I'm well pleased. Pam, you're my beloved daughter. In whom I'm well pleased. Will, you're my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. I want each of you to hear that, to make it your own, because it really is two things that are absolutely necessary, I believe, for a resilient, long-term, fruitful ministry is to have a clear sense of your identity in God and have a clear sense of the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. Without those two things, I think you are, you are vulnerable in a big way. The devil came to Adam and Eve, right? Scripture calls Adam, uh, calls what well, talks of Adam as the first Adam, and Jesus is the second Adam. The devil came to that first Adam and Eve and, and tempted them. Even though they were made in the likeness and image of God, the enemy's temptation to them struck at their identity. The enemy came trying to convince them that God was holding out something on them. That they could become more like him if they just ate of the fruit, if they just ate of this, the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil. And they fell for that temptation even though they already had a secure identity. They weren't living out of the richness and the resource of that a secure identity as the sons and daughters of God. They fell for the deception of the enemy. And a lot of people are falling for the deception of the enemy today, believing God's holding out on them, believing there's something more. And, and you know the trouble that Grandpa Adam and Eve got us into because of falling for that lie. The devil comes at Jesus the very same way, with the very same temptation. The devil says to him, this is the first temptation, if 
You are the son of God. Do you see it? This is the first words of the enemy. First words out of his mouth as Jesus has been led there into the wilderness to be tempted. If you are the son of God, right off the bat, the enemy goes after his identity. Thank God, just a short time before, God's voice had thundered from heaven, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus knew it. Jesus was walking in it, so he wasn't vulnerable to this temptation at all. He was able to speak God's word and turn the enemy back. Powerful stuff here, guys. There's only two ways, in all honesty, that you... Form your identity. One is by achieving it by yourself. When you achieve your identity by yourself, you know, there's a lot of problems with that, right? Because you wrap up your identity oftentimes in your role. And a lot of you are going through kind of the shifting of these roles and it's left you feeling really insecure. You were a mother and a wife or a husband and a father or a winner or a beauty queen or, you know, you, an athlete, all these things. And as you got older, those roles began to change. And with the changing of those roles, when the kids move out or the, if the marriage crumbles or you lose your job that you poured your life into or your age comes to diminish your beauty, all of a sudden you're just devastated, You don't even know who you are anymore because that what you've worked so hard to establish, this identity, it's crumbled. You can either achieve your identity or you can receive your identity. You receive it from God. When you receive it from God, you're able to remain healthy and strong and whole and confident no matter what happens in your life. Because you know you're a loved child of God. You know you're free to stop living from any other identity. Things that are not secure. And start living from an identity as God's son or daughter that's eternally secure. Because what you think, who you think you are. Listen, who you think you are absolutely determines what you do. Because of this. You know, when Satan attacks, he he starts, I think, pretty much always by undermining your sense of identity. He did it with Adam and Eve, like I said, and they already had received an identity of being like God, but somehow they got spiritual amnesia and forgot that. So they fell prey to the satanic lie that they could achieve an identity in their own efforts. Satan comes, tries to do the same thing with Jesus, questions Jesus' identity as the Son of God, that God had spoken over his Son and assured him of his identity, and Jesus was secure in that identity. The enemy's trying, trying, trying to get some of you to fall prey to his Lies. Look at what it says at the end of that passage in Luke 4. It says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. The devil has a sense of timing, right? Then Jesus, look at this. Here's the end of the story. Returned in the power of the what? Of the Spirit. I want you to see that the beginning of the story, the end of the story is framed in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus, again, has emptied himself of his divine qualities. He's living a life totally dependent upon the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power and presence in his life. And you and I need to learn to live from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in this life. That's going to mean for some of us a little more time with God each day. That's going to mean leaning in. That's going to mean surrendering. That's going to mean letting go of some things. That's going to mean drawing closer. Let me give you three realities you need to believe. Number one, that the devil's real. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Did you know that 60% now of Christians that are being surveyed believe there's no literal devil, that he's just a, a symbol of evil? And can I just tell you this? The devil loves that. In fact, he's rejoicing over that because he doesn't want you to really think that he exists. He doesn't want you to know that he is here, that he's at work, that he actually is masking or raiding around as an angel of light. The Bible tells us he's a fallen angel. He was one of the three named angels in the Bible, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. He got kicked out of heaven and he became an unemployed archangel, folks. The Bible describes it in Revelation chapter 12. Here it is. And there was a war in the heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. This is another word for the enemy here. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. I want you to really focus in on that. I've bolded it for you, right? But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Listen, the devil's goal is simple. It's to destroy us. John 10.10 gives it to us clearly. Steal, kill, destroy. There it is. His job description and he's doing it pretty well. And the, oh, I'll tell you how to fight against it here in a bit. But I want you to focus on that line from a moment ago. The enemy was not strong enough. He was not strong enough. He lost his place. The enemy was hurled down. The Bible says he's still the God of this earth, by the way. We need to keep that in mind. Number three. The devil responds to a higher authority. 1 John 4, 4 says this, the one who is in you is greater. Everybody say greater than the one who's in the world. The one who's in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Three weapons you can use. And I'd like to ask you the question this morning. Are you using these weapons? Do you realize they're weapons at your disposal? The first is the name of Jesus. Luke chapter 10 says this. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You ever seen a bolt of lightning? It happens just like that. Bam! That lightning comes down from heaven. You, You know what it's signifying here? This wasn't, this wasn't that grand Star Wars fight, you know, where, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, you, know, you know, two of the main characters in Star Wars fighting back and forth, back and forth, and, you know, one minute it looks like one's going to win, one minute it looks like the other one's going to prevail. No, this was, this fight was just like this. Boom, roll the credits. Yep. Satan fell like lightning, it's over. 
no fight, no fight. The enemy has been defeated. Jesus is greater. Greater, greater, greater. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise. The blood of Jesus is another of your incredible weapons at your disposal. Re- Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What is the word? The blood of the lamb, man. You need to be praying the blood of the lamb over your family. You need to be praying the blood of the lamb over your home. You need to be praying the blood of the lamb over all that God's entrusted you with as a steward. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What's the word of our testimony? Man, it's that we are sons and daughters of God that we are secure in Christ, that we have a position in the heavenlies, that we've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus himself. We're not our own. We're his. And we're secure in that. Number three is the word of Jesus. John 8, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is your offensive weapon, folks, the word of God. Do you know the word? Do you know it enough to hide it in your heart? Do you know it enough to pull it out at that, that opportune moment when the enemy has caught you hungry, isolated, and alone, and tired, and he's coming against you with a lie that sounds appealing, but you reach into that heart and pull out that sword of the Spirit, and you slice him and dice him because the Word of God is at your ready. Listen, the Bible's not just your little devotional book, folks. It's your weapon. It's what you fight with. It's the sword of the Spirit. This is why, as a pastor, I'm always, always, always going to be pounding one thing, and that is get in God's Word daily, church. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth, because your Word is truth. One last three, right? Three things to do every day. Commit yourself to God. I've told you guys this. I'll tell you it again. Every morning, I start my morning uh, by rolling out of my bed onto my knees, and I submit myself to God. I I pray through that prayer in James. I submit myself to God, and I resist the devil in Jesus' strong name, and I thank God that the devil has no choice but to flee, and then I just, I, I just lean into the Lord. I cry out to him to guide me and direct me that day. Listen, God's like a father in a home, and there's, there's real protection under his covering. And your authority is really only as strong as your submission to him as Lord of your life. The more committed, the more submitted you are, the more authority that you will walk in. But if you're playing games and you're living one of these lives where, you know, it's partially God's will, partially your will, you kind of got that, you know, those, the, you've got your, your legs over a fence, right? You're walking, you know, on one side of the fence and on the other side of the fence. You're, you know, on Sundays you look religious and you say the right things and you act like you're a Christian, but Monday comes and you're living a different reality. I'm just telling you, that isn't going to work for very long at all. James 4, 7, and 8, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number two is close any open door. Sometimes, sometimes we, maybe unintentionally or maybe because we just we fail to repent fully, we leave a crack in the door for the enemy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We leave a crack in the door. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's an interesting situation. I won't give all the background, but, but there was a man who was doing horror, horrific, sinful things. And, and Paul said, this man needs to be turned over to the enemy. And, and, and then the man turned and, and repented and came back. And Paul says, if you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. We need to forgive. We need to have clean slates before God and before one another. That's so important. Let's don't forget that. The Holy Spirit will show you any open doors, any places you've left a crack. Oftentimes, when I, when I goof up and sin and fall, I... Part of what I pray is, God, take back any ground I've yielded to the enemy and shut any doors that I've opened. I don't want the enemy to have access in my life at all. And I am, I am sincerely sorry for my sin. Please forgive me and help me to walk in victory. Ephesians chapter 4 says, In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. There it is right there. It's leaving that door a crack. It's giving the enemy a foothold. And, and anger is one of those perfect venues or opportunities where the enemy slips in, right? We get offended or we get angry or we get hurt. Those are perfect opportunities. Even though someone did something to us, right? Someone hurt us or someone offended us. It really is important how we deal with it, how we walk it out, how we pray that through. Because if we're not careful, even though we're the one that's been hurt, we let the enemy in through the hurt. Do not give the devil a foothold. That word in, in Greek is actually the word topos. It means a, a physical, literal place. Don't give the enemy a place in your life. Someone said to me the other day, this has been the most helpful verse in my marriage. Because listen, you, you go to bed angry with your, your husband or your wife. Let me just tell you what will happen. I guarantee it will happen. The devil will be right there in your ear all night long counseling you against your spouse. Lying to you. I can't believe you married that woman. You should have never married that woman. Look at how she's disrespected you. Look at, look at what's happening here. You need to trade her in for a new model. You know what I'm saying. The enemy will lie all kinds of things to you. Come on, church. I'm speaking the truth. He will counsel you all night long if you don't settle that anger, if you don't close that door. And then lastly, confront the enemy in prayer. Confront the enemy in prayer. It doesn't have to be loud just has to be active, faithful, fervent. Amen? Because you have the victory. Let me just end by, by a simple little illustration. What if I found out somehow, some way, that somebody got a key to your house and they were planning to come into your house at 3 a.m. This, this night, this morning, and rob you blind? Let me just say, most of you, if I came to you and told you that, you wouldn't go to sleep. You'd probably be sitting at your front door with your two best friends, right? Smith and Wesson. <laughs> You'd be watchful. You'd be prayerful. 
You'd be making sure that nothing happened. 1 Peter 5.8 says it this way. And I just, two weeks ago, I was in the land of the lions. In the middle of the night, I heard a lion roar. I sat up in my bed. It got my attention, believe me. Can I just say to you, the lion is roaring. The lion of the enemy, but also the lion of Judah. The lion, the, the enemy is roaring lies, but the lion of Judah's roaring truth and victory. First Peter 5, 8, 9 says, be self-controlled. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in the faith. Amen. I'm going to ask my my worship folks to come back quickly, please. Here's what I want to do today. Let's all stand together, please. I just, I feel this so intently. I just, I feel like we're all in a battle. And we all need to be vigilant. So here's, here's what I want to do. If you feel you're in a battle... If you feel the enemy's been lying to you, if you have felt vulnerable to his lies, if you feel in any way, shape, or form the enemy's been coming against you or against your family or family members, I want you just to step outside the row, okay, and just come down somewhere or come out on the side aisle or come out in the center. Just take a move. Make a move, okay? And then those of you who are on the ministry team, okay, my ministry team members, I want you just to work your way through and just pray over people, okay? Put your hand on the shoulder and just pray over people as we, as we just cry out to God. So go ahead and move. If you feel the enemy has been attacking, if you feel the enemy has been lying, if you feel vulnerable in any way, just move outside the row where you're sitting. Move out, move into the middle, move down to the front. I don't care. Just identify yourself and let's believe together in Jesus' strong name through his word, through his name, by his blood, that today victory is coming to your life, to your house, to your business, to whatever it is that you are going to stand strong, you're going to resist the enemy, and he is going to have no choice but to flee. Amen? If I can get a little bit of background music going, guys, that'd be awesome. I want to pray. I want to pray. And ministry team members, just make your way around, pray for people. Just pray for people. Lord, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus, as pastor over this church, I pray in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee must bow, the name that is greater, the name that is holy, the name that is victorious, the powerful name of Jesus. I pray in the power of the blood of Jesus, the blood that was shed by the Son of God himself to defeat every work of the enemy, to dismantle the enemy. I pray in the power of the Word of God, the living, active Word of God. I'm so thankful for your Word, Lord. It's alive. It it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It's alive and active, and it brings victory in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray right now that each one who's been sensing an attack of the enemy may feel victory in Jesus today, free from the enemy's attack. 
Lord, bless them and protect them and encourage them today. Some of them have, the enemy has tried to bring depression upon you, a deep set sense of depression. You've almost struggled with the thought that you are quite honestly mentally mentally ill and you're dealing with this and it's been so heavy it's been like a dark cloud in the name of Jesus may that depression rise off of you right now be broken off of you be blown away like a cloud is blown by the wind in Jesus name may it dissipate may it go Lord let your peace and your power and your presence come your joy your goodness your kindness in place of all of that And Lord, I thank you that each and every one of us, we are the sons and the daughters of God. Our identity is clear. We live out of the rich resource of that identity as God's children. We're secure in you. You're our victory. You're our shield. You're our fortress. And Lord, we find find, uh, freedom under your wings, security under your wings. Lord, thank you for victory right now in Jesus' strong name. May we rise up daily confronting the enemy in prayer, not allowing him to steal any longer, not allowing him to destroy any longer, not allowing his lies to just run through our minds without being checked any longer. God, help us to think about what we're thinking about and to take captive every lie in Jesus' strong name. God, give your people freedom today, and may they walk in the fullness of that freedom today in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Let's give the Lord praise in this place today. Amen.